hope. Hope. Um, this is a message I heard on the radio late, lately, and it said, hope. Um, it said, new coach, new owner, new quarterback, hope. And it, it was this great announcer voice coming through, and, and for some reason this year I've kind of gotten a little bit hooked to, to sports radio, local sports radio. And, and that was the message. That's been a message, a little, little um, teaser that happens in between episodes and things, different, different talks, and they say, hope. And I think to myself, oh, that's a really lowercase h-o-p-e, hope. <laughs> One that, that is bound to disappoint but hope, and it was, again, this big, bold kind of announcer voice just echoing through Broncos country. And I thought to myself, man, I'm so thankful. Our hearts are made for hope, so we desire hope. We desire newness, but we have a hope and a newness. That is a, a capital H-O-P-E, and a newness that's found in our relationship in Jesus Christ. And it's so much better um, than the, the small little hopes that we kind of cling to and we look to throughout our week and our year. And we do that. We do that too. And, but, but we need to be reminded and turn back and be reminded where our hope rests and lies and that it's in, in Jesus Christ and our hope that we have in him and our God the Father who poured out his love on us. So as we look in Ephesians, and we're back in Ephesians. So um, I know we took a long break, but we are back. And, and also, um, if you don't have one of these notebooks where it has Ephesians, it has places to put notes, I think we have a couple left still. So if you didn't get one of those, they're back there. But we're back in that. And we will be walking through. And since it's been such a long break, I know I needed to take time to, to read through it and, and remember and review we do need to take just a little bit of time of remembering. But this is a book about newness in Christ. It's about hope. And the passage we get to today, it's just chock full of true hope that we have in Christ. But let's be reminded a bit of some of, the, some of these themes of newness that we find in Christ as we walk through the book. And as it begins, the first chapter to about chapter 2, uh, verse 10, it is all about this new identity that we have in Christ, this new life in Him. And Paul writes... Paul is the author of this book, of this letter. And Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's one that was called and sent out by Christ. If you remember, he was one who also persecuted the church and tried to crush the message of Jesus. But then Jesus appeared to him and changed his life. And he radically, by the, the moving of the Holy Spirit and God's power, he changed um, just the landscape of the gospel going out to all peoples. And the Lord used him for that. And as he writes this letter, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see that he is a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. And we know that Paul spent time in prison. And this is probably when he was in Rome in prison. And he wrote several letters from there. And he wrote to churches. And here he writes to, to the church at Ephesus. And if you look at the very beginning in Ephesians, as it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, you may have a little asterisk there and a little footnote in your Bible where some of the earlier manuscripts... Uh, don't have the name Ephesus, uh, but a lot of these letters, as they were written, they were uh, given to churches, and then they were given to them to be passed around. And this may have been a general larger letter for the churches in Asia Minor, and Ephesus is the capital there, and it began there, and then, and then it was spread out. But this is a general message to the church, to us too as well. So we have this letter. And let's just be reminded of a few of the, some key passages that we've already studied. And I'm going to read a few of them. I'd love to, in my notes, I have more 
than we have time for, because when I went through it, I was like, oh, this is going to be uh, a long sermon. And it still might be a little bit longer than normal. I'm just giving you a warning, but I have a promise for you. We will be done before the Super Bowl starts. <laughs> the Super Bowl starts at 4.30, if you don't know. So we're, I promise, we're good. So well, let's read some of those together. So uh, if you have a Bible um, with you or one of these notebooks or you need the white Bible, that's great too, and it's on page 1078. This is from the very first chapter, so we just review in a little bit. Let me read from chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And we see some of the things that we have in Christ. If we've trusted in him, there's this this change that happens in us. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters and sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So in Christ, redemption through the blood of Christ and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight. So we're just reminded of these truths that if we are those who have been trusted in Christ, we know that he has made us his sons and daughters, that he has adopted us, that he has, that his, 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 his um, predestined plan, it says, he chose us before the foundations of the world. And we remember that from the beginning, that, that we have a God who loves us and poured out his love on us in Christ, lavished his grace upon us. When we trust in him, there's just newness, like we talked about last week. And then, as we continue through to verse 17, and Paul then breaks into this prayer, and he prays. There's a couple places where Paul prays in this letter, and we'll read one of them right now, and then the other one we're going to study today. It's been a lot of time in. But let me just read some of that, those prayers that Paul prays, starting in verse 17. That... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you will know. So Paul, he wants them to know and just grow in truth, these truths and these things that are true in them. And these are the different things. He says, what is the hope? What is the hope? This is a capital H-O-P-E. Hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand in the heavenly places? So so Paul just prays for these different things that we'll understand the hope that we have, the immeasurable riches and glorious inheritance that we, that God has given us and that we'll experience for all eternity with him and the greatness of his power, that power that raised Christ from the dead is that which gives us new life and great hope and that we know that we have true life in Christ. And then as we continue this theme in Ephesians of this new identity that we have in him, he begins to remind them about who they were and who they are now in chapter 2. Let me read verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So just reminds them, before Christ, before that new life that you had, you were dead in sin. You were far from him. But then we see this, this change. And if we look at 
at verse 4 and 5. God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And then verses 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. And it's, this is not your own dealing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we, we see this death to life, that we're dead in sins, and we're made alive and forgiven in Christ. We have a new life in Him, and His grace poured out. And it's not about our works. Um, he saves us by grace through faith. So there's a, a just great truth about this new life that we have in Jesus. And then he begins to address the church. And the, there were Gentiles and Jews. Those who were Gentiles are those non-Jews. All those who were outside of this community of God, but that are brought in. And he says to them, you guys are all one now. Um, there's this unique new community that we find in Christ. Let me just read a few of those verses. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says to the, the Gentiles in the group, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So it reminds of you were without hope. You had no, no God. You were without the one true God. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought in. You've been brought near. And then he reminds them that, that in verse 16 through 19, uh, that they have the same messenger, Jesus, and the same message, the gospel, and they are brought in the same way through Jesus. So there's this oneness. Let me just read some of those verses in chapter 2. And might reconcile us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are... No longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's this one community. They're all citizens of heaven. They're all brought in. And then Paul, as we get into chapter 3, and this is the last passage we studied, I guess it was in November, um, where we studied that. And Paul just explains a little bit to them his ministry and his calling, that God has called him has given them the task of taking this amazing gospel to, to the Gentiles, those who are far from God. And he says just a little snippet of that, verses 6 through 8 in chapter 3 of Ephesians. The mystery, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me, by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's saying, I'm the least. Man, he remembers that he, he persecuted the church, but then he was called out. And then he brings this unsearchable riches of Christ to all those um, who would listen. So that's Paul's calling. And then... And then we kind of have a little bit of a transition, not quite in verse in chapter thir and three, but as we get to chapter four 
it's kind of a break in Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians, with a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, there's a lot of truth, a lot of doctrine. He's saying, this is true, this is true, these things are true, this is what's happened in Christ, and, and all of these wonderful, amazing things. And then the second half, a lot of times of his letters, is this practical theology. How, how does this apply to your life? How should you live now in light of these truths? And if you were to read through all of those, we see that it impacts our relationships with one another in the church. It, it impacts our relationships in the family and, and all of these new things that happen. We're to walk in them. And as we, we have this new identity in Christ, we talked last week, we should have this cross-shaped life, our, a cruciformed life, you could say. So we should have this cross-shaped life that's changed. But you could look at all these things and be just utterly overwhelmed. I mean, like, how could I ever walk in all these things? They're just... I want to walk in holiness, but this is so hard sometimes. But in the middle of this, right before he goes into that section, he has this prayer. And he prays these things for the church. And there are things that we should pray for one another and pray even for our own lives. And if you're using the ESV, it even has a little heading there. Again, those aren't originally in Scripture. They add them in, the editors of the Bibles. But it says, Prayer for Spiritual Strength. And what a good title for that. There is this prayer for spiritual strength that's in there. So, we, so we'll begin. I think, Jonathan, you can go ahead and scroll it forward there. And in this, really as he begins and he, he walks through, he's praying, but as any good um, a discipler would do as they want to teach people, it's a model too of prayer. And it's a model for us of prayer as well. And this is a great way to kind of start out our beginning again in Ephesians and be reminded of these things. And we, we need to be those who pray. Pray for one another and, and, and pray for our own heart and our own faith and our own walk as well. So Paul begins. And he begins prayer with this bowed, humble heart before our Father, our God, God the Father. Verse 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So, there's this humility that he comes before the Lord and bows his knee. Last week we talked a little bit about the fear of God. And this is that right reverent fear of God that we bow toward the Lord in worship. Instead of being afraid of God where we might cower and run from him and, and cower away from him. But this is a bowing our knee in reverent worship to him. And it's not so much about the physical posture even as he bows his knee but it is about the posture of heart. Because even this morning, you could be, be praising the Lord and raising your, raising your hands and be thinking about um, the, your Super Bowl party later. So it's not always about your... You can have lots of stuff going in in your head and your heart and your physical body doesn't do it. But there is a connection between our bodies and our souls, isn't there? There's times where if we physically kneel before the Lord in prayer, there is a humbling of a heart that takes place. And sometimes when our heart is humbled... We then kneel, or then we kneel before Him, or we even lay our face flat before Him. I know there's times that where even in this room I've laid flat as flat as I could possibly be before the Lord, just in prayer, just in need of Him. So it is a posture of need that we we go to Him and we kneel before Him. And Paul kneels before the Lord in humble prayer. And as we do that, as we kneel, there is. A physical a declaring of truth, I think, as we do that. We, we declare just that God is worthy of worship. Um, 
and we reverently want to worship Him. We declare even that God is holy. We declare that He is the good, gracious giver. We declare that we're in need, too. We need Him. And it's interesting, some of the study I came across was that the typical way that Jews would pray would not be kneeling, but standing would be more often the way. So, so this is a humbly, not that there isn't, there is examples as we look at, even at Psalm 95, um, that's one where, well, let me just read a couple verses from Psalm 95. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And he says, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So there's a declaration of that. But a lot of times they would stand. But here, a call to kneel. And there's times where we just need to kneel before the Lord and pray and humble our hearts before him and to pray to God our Father. And one thing interesting I, I read recently, I never really thought about it before, but before God was creator and ruler of all creation, He was Father in the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity, from all eternity past, He is Father. And we pray to Him. And He is, is above all. And He is a creator of family, of all families. And He um, is one who is our God and Father of all. So there's a preeminence we see there of our God. And there's more that we could kind of dig in there, but there's just not time to get through all of it this morning. So we continue, and then we see in verse 16, we say a prayer for prayer for the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit in this. And man, we need this. We need to pray like this. We need people to pray for us like this. And he says, verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, whole, through his Spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. So another way, this is another translation. Um, it's a paraphrase of it. The New Living says, I pray that His glorious unlimited resources, I love that, that He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. So here, here Paul is praying. He's praying for these brothers and sisters in Christ that they would be empowered, strengthened, by the Spirit of God and strengthen in their own soul. It's not about physical strength, but spiritual strength of heart and soul. And he prays that the Holy Spirit would do that in us. And sometimes we forget that when we trust in Christ, His Spirit is in us. Um, that's, a, that's a done deal when we rest in Him and trust in Him, but we forget about that. Reminded a bit about that as well in a book that I mentioned, I think, last week called Delighting in the Trinity. Again, a great book. If you just want to read one book this year about your Christian walk, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. And um, this is what he said about the Holy Spirit. I thought this was helpful. I read this a couple weeks back. He said, The life the Spirit gives is not an abstract package of blessings. It is His own life that He shares with us. The life of fellowship with the Father and the Son. The Spirit is not some divine milkman. I love this phrase. He's not, the Spirit is not some, like some divine milkman leaving the gift of life on a doorstep, only moving on. That's not what it's like. In giving us life, He comes in to be with us and remain with us. Having once given life, then He does not move on. He stays to make that life blossom and grow. I think that's, that's a good picture um, of the Holy Spirit moving in us. And then I think of some other verses. I think of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 19 that says, So we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that's the Spirit renewing us and moving in us. Some other verses, we don't have time to look at all of them today, but maybe you want to, to reference them later. But you can see that similar things, speaking about that empowering of the Spirit. It's in Colossians 1, 11, or Galatians 5, 16, and then 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. All sorts of verses that we can look to to be reminded of these truths. So Paul does remind us that we need, um, we need God. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us to, to continue to grow, and we need to rest in that. Sometimes we rest in our own strength. But if we actively pray and pray for one another, we can rest in the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And I think of Paul, I think it's in, um, it's in, what, in 2 Corinthians where Paul's speaking about his weakness, and he says that, that he is willing to be weak so that the power of Christ might rest upon him. Um, I think that's kind of those prayers we need to have. We need it moment by moment, day by day, uh, situation by situation. And then 17, verse A, or part A. I should have had an A on there, 17A. I didn't edit that. So, Pray, we should pray for the ever-increasing indwelling of Christ in our hearts. So he says this in the first part of 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he begins, this is according to the riches of unlimited resources of God's glory, God will grant strength in our inner being so that Christ, by faith, will dwell in our hearts. So that Christ will abide and remain in us and that will continue to, to grow in his dwelling in us. Now it's true, when we trust in Jesus, when we first turn from our sins and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, he dwells in us, he abides in us. That's a, a done deal, but there's a continued growing. But just... To, to be reminded of that, I think of Colossians 1.27 that says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Capital H-O-P-E, hope of glory, Christ in us. That happens when we trust in him. Or we often sing that song, Life Defined, that's based on Galatians 2.20. That I, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer, longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that begins. But then there's this continued growing as we continue to die to self, and we, uh, we allow Christ to continue to sanctify us, to make us more and more holy, more and more like him, and walk with him. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, as he's writing to the church there, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, So he just prays, he, 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 again, he's praying for the church at, at, there in Galatia that Christ would be formed in them, continue to grow in them, and will continue to become more and more like Jesus as he dwells in us. And there is a work to be done. He continues to, to clean us and dwell and make home in us in our lives. Uh, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this, of, of just the sanctifying work that the Lord does in us and dwells in us in this increasing work in our lives, of Christ in us. I was thinking back to, often I think of things in China that were, this life was different there. But if you were to go to China and look for an apartment um, to live there, um, and you were to move in, if you were going to an apartment that wasn't a brand new apartment, most likely in the kitchen, you'd have a lot of cleaning to do. Let me explain why. Uh, in, in Asian cooking, you use a, a lot of stir-fry 
which means a lot of grease. And they have these big walks, and just grease just coats a full kitchen. And there's just a layer of of grease. So you'd have to go in, and you'd have to slowly... We were thankful. We moved into an apartment that had only been lived in for a couple months. Uh, But still, even then, there was some cleaning. We would kind of open a drawer, and we'd find grease on the corners and sides. And be like, oh, my goodness. But we had other, other friends that would move in, and they would maybe spend a week. It was like a week-long project just to clean it out so that they could dwell and be comfortable in that place. And there's work to be done in our hearts. And may we pray that the Holy Spirit continue to empower us as spirit as Christ dwells and remains in us. And that continues as, Christ, or as Paul speaks about Christ being formed in us. And then we get to uh, these verses that if you've walked with Christ for for a long time or even a little while, you probably found these verses and you're like, oh, these are great. I love these verses. So Paul prays for an, a strengthening to grasp, to understand knowledge-wise and experience, though, as well, the full magnitude of the love of Christ. We need prayer. Don't, isn't that great? A love that you have to pray. Man, I need your help even to, to fully experience and know this love. And that's what Paul, Paul prays. Love this. He says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he prays from that they might know. But he begins and he says about them that, that they're rooted and, and founded. Maybe your, your translation says they're firmly established in love. So even as you trust in Christ, your life, new life in Christ, it already begins with a rooted deep down in love. Our foundation is the love of Christ. And those roots go down deep. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he said this, but God being rich in mercy because of, his, of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So again, be reminded that he loved us with such a great love in Christ. And that's the beginning where our life in Christ begins. We need to be reminded of that. And rooted, you think of of something that's rooted deep down. Um, Trees, you know, you see a strong tree, it's going to have strong roots under it. And we, another example from our time in China, they would build buildings and things like, like crazy, and whole subdivisions would go up quick. And one thing that they would do, they would bring in full mature trees. I don't know how they did this, but they, trees, and they would, they would probably get from tree farms that they had, and, but they would be able to transport them. They'd cut a lot of the roots out, and then they'd plant them with hopes that a storm wouldn't come through to blow them down. I remember one time there was this huge windstorm in, in a new area of town. All these trees got knocked over, and you saw they didn't have any roots. But that's not how we are. Even our beginning, they're rooted down in the love of Christ and this firm foundation. And same, same thing with the foundation of any kind of building. Uh, when we lived in Louisville, there's time where one of my jobs, I had to drive through downtown or near downtown, and I remember there's one big huge building they were going to build, and it took forever to build that foundation. It just took weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe months to do, and then once they do that, then the building begins to go up. But there's a strong foundation. Our life begins, it says, you already are rooted and established in love. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning that we see here as he continues um, to speak about that. 
And he says, may, may you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So he prays and for us to just begin to understand the full magnitude of God's love. He, he prays that we would be able to begin to grasp that, to intellectually understand, but also experience that. And he speaks about it in this way of magnitude, of this breadth and length and height and depth. It's kind of that deep and wide. Maybe if, you, if in Sunday school we'd sing deep and wide, deep and wide. There's, I don't, I, I, as a kid, I had no idea what that meant. But, uh, it was, but if you know that song where you get, to, you get to take the deep out and you get to go, mm, for that word, so you get to go, mm, and wide. Mm, and then you get to take out wide and you get to go, mm, and mm, mm. And I think that's what, I think that song's about this verse. I don't know for sure, but I may have been, from a little kid, I was singing about this, and I didn't know quite what I was singing about. I didn't know what the fountain was, but, so, deep and wide, and, and just the magnitude of the love of God that we see of Christ, just huge. Now, when I came to this verse, I thought to myself, I wonder, in the book, um, Gentle and Lowly, and it's one book we gave you guys last year, and actually, I, really, I still have some of those books left over, and there's three or four in the back. We have more. Um, and if you want one of those, you can grab one. But I thought to myself, I bet you anything he talks about this verse because he just speaks about the love of Christ. And he did, and he does. And let me just read this quote. So good, so helpful. It says, In Christ's death, God is confronting our dark thoughts of him and our chronic insistence that divine love must have an endpoint, a limit, a point which it runs dry. Christ died to confound our intuitive assumption that divine love has an expiration date. He died to prove that God's love is, as Jonathan Edwards puts it, an ocean without shore or bottom. That's a good way of saying it. God's love is boundless, is boundless as God himself. That, this is why the Apostle Paul speaks of divine love as a reality that stretches to an immeasurable breadth and length and height and depth. The only thing in the universe as immeasurable as that is God himself. God's love is as expansive as God himself. For God to cease to love his own, God would need to cease to exist God does not simply have love. God is love. Uh, that's 1 John 4, 16. God is love. In the death of Christ for our sins, for sinners, God intends to put his love for us beyond question. So this is the love of God. And then verse 19, another phrase that is just like mind-blowing. It says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays. So this is kind of the buildup of this prayer. Again, so he's praying that he, Paul prays that we would be strengthened by God in our spirit out of the depths of the riches of God's glory as Christ dwells in us and continually dwells and makes, more, makes us more and more like him. And we're rooted, our lives are rooted and founded in the love of God found in Jesus Christ and growing. We grow in this understanding of this immeasurable magnitude of love that we might be filled to complete fullness with the fullness of God. And this is really is a, a huge statement to be filled with the fullness of God. And even as I looked at it, I was like, I don't even know fully what this means. And I thought, man, I, I need to dig in. I, I'm curious what some other people have said about this verse. And I thought, well, I'll go at a commentary by um, Jonathan MacArthur, John MacArthur, 
who uh, my friend Greg, some of you guys know Greg, that was, used to be here in lead worship, calls him Johnny Mac. So I went to Johnny Mac, and this is what he said. He said, it is incredible and indescribable. There is no way this side of heaven we can fathom that truth. We can only believe it and praise God for it. So I was looking for more of an explanation, but he's like, man, it's, it's beyond us to be filled with that of God. But then he gave an illustration that was helpful. And he gave an illustration of someone who gave uh, another story. So it's, we're like kind of three illustrations deep. But this is the story that he retold. And it was a story told originally by J. Wilbur Chapman, who was an evangelist in the, the late 1800s into the, the 1900s. And he wrote some hymns and some different things. And he told the story of a man who he came to one of his meetings. And this was the story. It says, the man said to... to Wilbur Chapman, he said this. I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp and for a year begged on the streets for a living. Then one day I touched a man on his shoulder and said, Hey, mister, can you give me a dime? As soon as I saw his face, the man's face, I was shocked to see that it was my own father. I said, Father, Father, do you know me? Throwing his arms around me with tears in his eyes, he said, Oh, my son, At last I found you. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. Think of it. I was a tramp. I stood begging my own father for 10 cents when for 18 years he had been looking for me to give me all that he had. I think that's kind of a picture of God giving us all that he has. And I think in eternity we'll begin to get more of a glimpse of that but we'll just grow in it for all eternity. Talk about hope. That's a H-O-P-E, hope. And we've given that guarantee in Christ Jesus, who's already died for us and risen again. So then Paul, verses 20 through 21, no surprise, he just bursts forth in praise. And he gives praise to God. We should pray that way too. Give praise and glory to our God who is worthy. This is now... To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, already working within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So he just bursts forth in praise in light of all of these realities that we've talked about that we have in Christ and this prayer just to even understand the magnitude of the love of Christ has been poured out for us and he bursts forth in praise. He prays to a God who's able to do far more abundantly than we can even think of that we could even ask for that we could even imagine. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking how even in creation there's things that are just mind-blowing um, we recently watched a series, I think it was from the National um, Geographic, where they were just going to different parts of the earth from deep down in the oceans to tops of mountains. And I, they introduced things in, in creation that I have never seen before. And I was like, holy cow, that is amazing. Is that real? And That's amazing. I have never, could never imagine such a thing. And I think even in creation, there's things that just still blow my mind. Um, that God has done in creation. Just think of all that he has for us for all eternity that we can rest on beyond. It shouldn't be a surprise. It'll be beyond what we could imagine and think of. Um, that's how it is. And he, he does this through his mighty power that he's already begun working out in us. He's already begun to pour his love, his rescue, his forgiveness, his healing, his new life in us. And that's already begun. And 
indeed. May, may we glory. May the glory of God just be pointed to in the church, um, the local church, but the church across the world, pointing people to Jesus and in Christ Jesus, the work that he's done through the person and the work of Christ. May they point us to just worship. So as we come kind of the end of these things, we think, well, we need to pray. Um, we, we, there's so much available to us in Christ. May we pray for one another. May we encourage one another. May we just meditate on these truths. May we not also trade in um, lowercase h-o-p-e hopes for the, the, the great hope that we have in our God and be reminded of those things. And even as we think about praying for one another, um, I, I, we should, one of the things you can do is have a list of the people of the church. And I have um, some new directories, too. They're, they're really basic, really kind of just boring. But we have some of them. I printed them off this morning, and they are somewhere in the church building. Uh, I meant to put them out, but, but they're somewhere. I'll get them. And, um, but just grab that and, and pray. Pray for one another. Look at those names. There might be some names that you don't know. Sometimes I, I forget, like, even in a smaller church, sometimes there's people that you don't know, and I, I, and I forget that. But that's true. That's how it is. But maybe we pray for one another, encourage one another, and pray these things for one another. And what a wonderful opportunity we have. And, and as you came in, too, there was a, a little, um, little card that has dates of things that are coming up. But on the back, um, just ways that you can even submit prayer requests so that we can pray for one another. And be able to send those out and put them in our, our weekly emails, but also text them out to you so you can know to pray. And that's an easy contact place to just be able to pray, because we need to do that, uh, need to, to be able to do that more. And I was reminded of that recently, and I need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. So with all of that, let's pray. And then we respond by taking of the Lord's Supper and we're reminded of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and declaring that to one another this morning. Dear Father God, we thank you for this. We even pray these things, Lord. I, I, I pray um, that out of the, the abundant riches, unlimited resources of your glory, indeed, may you grant us to be strengthened with the power of your spirit in our inner being. May Christ continue to dwell and grow in us and sanctify us and make us more like him by faith. Would help us to be reminded that our walk begins in a rooting deep down on the love that you have poured out for us and shown for us in Christ. And Lord, help me and all of us to grasp even more the love that we have in Christ, and to experience it more, and to walk in it more, and to know that we will never reach the depths of that love. And, and Lord, may you fill us with all the fullness of yourself, dear God. Lord, we just want to give you praise for all of these things. Lord, we know that you are a God who can do far more than we can ask or imagine. We just ask you to do amazing things in our life and, and through this church. And we know that some of that will be walking through suffering and difficulty, but we know that you even use that for great glory and, and work in us and those around us. So I pray for that. And Lord, may you, through this church and the churches throughout this world, continue to bring yourself glory. May more and more people know you and find the true hope uh, that is beyond measure that's found through Christ, we pray. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.